every single day we're dealing with these engineers who are brilliant. They've got tons of experience, as you say, and they're just not ready to adopt these new tools. And we've got to figure out how to train them and get them ready. You're listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, real estate, and industry 4.0. And most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data that you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast. And today we're talking to Brian Turner, who knows everything about how to make buildings smarter and also how to make the industry smarter. To me, smart is not just about having a BMS. It's about how you design the building for the market that you're in, for the financial payback that you can expect but also for the tenancy you have and making sure that they're healthy and secure and want to be in your building. So at the end of the day, most of my employees, because of our business, they're still not here because we have indoor air quality monitors all over the place. And they're like, hey, we need to make sure we're getting more airflow in our space because according to the data, we're not getting enough. It's not healthy enough for the people to come back to buildings. We heard that during the last year, we need to be upgrade the buildings to attract people back into buildings, all these kind of things. But what's actually stopping them is the transparency that the building is not really there yet. And then you need to tweak it a little bit more to get them back to buildings. Do you see that this is becoming the norm? Is this getting into rules and regulations? Is this getting into, we're sitting there, right? Negotiating about the lease contract. Do you also see like the shorter periods of lease agreements? Because I see that here in the Nordics, definitely much, much more flexibility, demand of flexibility because of, yeah, we don't know if it's going to be a mobile workforce, hybrid. We can't sign up for the next five years. I mean, God knows what will happen in five years, to be honest. So in terms of like lease flexibility, as well as exactly what you just said, is this sort of happening or are you just predicting that it will happen after COVID? I haven't seen it happening per se yet. I think we're too soon, but I've heard it talked about a lot. In fact, a couple of building owners that I'm working with right now were really surprised that they could deploy sensors in every tenant space in their building. And then we could also start tracking the maintenance of their equipment and actually provide them that level of granularity without having a full building automation system. Just by monitoring those two things, the indoor air environment, and the maintenance work that's being done on the mechanical equipment, that we could provide them a good amount of information about how healthy their environment is and what activities they need to do. And so they went from thinking that they were going to have to spend millions of dollars in their portfolio to automate everything to now spending a couple hundred thousand just to put sensing everywhere. It changed their paradigm. It changed their way of thinking and they're moving forward. That's why I say a smart building doesn't have to just be technologically smart. It's how we approach these buildings and solving the right problem. Yeah, and I think it might evolve into something of that nature in the future. But I think like exactly what is missing, exactly what you're seeing, what is a smart building and how do you get there? What could be the first step right now in achieving this? And I think that's sort of where I think the industry as well, me included, you know, say, well, you need to go all out. 
create a smart building from where you are today, do a big bang approach or whatever. Instead, exactly what I'm doing here in Sweden as well, which is deploying sensors, getting an understanding of the space. And it's less about the actual asset than the context of that asset. What are the dynamics of the indoor well-being stuff or exactly what you're seeing? So I really love that approach. So once you've done that, right, you deploy the sensors, you give them an opportunity to know what to do and where to do these kind of things. And then how does your offering, IoT Jetstream, right? What does that actually do from a real-life perspective? What are the problems and why is IoT Jetstream a good solution to these problems that exist? Let's just take that basic example of indoor air quality. So you get these sensors deployed, they go up to their own cloud. They're reset air certified, they're well building certified, and you have it in your app, right? But effectively useless. I mean, you know something. You don't know why. You really don't know what you can do to impact it. And you really have no relationship to anything else that's going on in the building. And so that's where IoT Jetstream really starts to come into play because, and that's why I say smart can't be just deploy some sensors. You have to deploy sensors with a goal in mind, with an end in mind. So, what am I doing with this data? In order to do something with the data, it needs to relate back to that physical thing, whether it's the building and the space, it needs to relate to that, but it also needs to relate to what is the thing conditioning the air. So what's the input? So I get the output, I've sensed, but what was actually feeding and how well is that being maintained? And so that's a very kind of minimalistic view of what IoT Jetstream is about. So yes, we take these two different data sources. One of them is scan a QR code, do my preventive maintenance or do my filter changes, whatever it is that I'm doing, document all that, log it all. Now that's data. Now that data was all entered by a human, by a technician service company. They're out there doing that work every day. On the other side, I've got tons of data coming up, collected every second and stored, right? And then I've got this physical building. So I've got certain air handlers, supplying zones. I've got sensors that are in zones. I've got tenants that are also in those zones. So now I can start to have an impact around all these different data sources, but only if I've related it together. And that's really where IoT Jetstream comes in. And then from the graph side, and yeah, big GraphQL fans. So we expose all that data to GraphQL as an open API. So now, depending on who our client is, maybe we'll bring it into OnPoint, which is our visualization analytics platform. Maybe we'll just make that data all available to their own internal platform. But they're not just getting raw data anymore. They're getting data that's all got relationships. So they say, hey, in room 201, how's the indoor air quality there? Well, I get that. But I also get the full maintenance records of all the air handlers serving that room and the VAVs. And so if I start to see that, hey, this part of the building is not working very well or, or from an indoor air quality standpoint, and I also notice that that unit's not getting maintained very much, and it's also not operating very well, we're constantly having calls on that unit. Now we start to have some correlation that doesn't take rocket scientists to figure it out because it's all there for you. That data has been related for you. It's got context. And again, getting back to the humans, we can't expect that everybody we hire is going to be able to connect all those dots on their own. We need to connect the dots for them and empower them to make good decisions. This is awesome. And this has been sort of my dream the last seven years since I entered the industry, right? I was working for this IoT company. They were using backend web services. Back at a time, no one really was using. It was just a RESTful API out of backnet. You could do a lot of cool things, merging together IoT side with traditional HVAC side. But the context was always missing to some extent. 
it's always been. And I think that's where Haystack, Brick Schema, these ontologies bring in, in this relationship. So are you working at all with industry taxonomies and ontologies to enrich the data, or are you doing it yourself, as in your approach? This is where ontology wars sort of a little bit comes in, or how are you working with this today? We created a site called the Ontology Alignment Project, and it's oap.buildingsio2.com. And we started it off for the sole purpose of making sure my own teams applied Haystack the same way every single time. Because you can say it's frustrating to have company A and company B working for the same building owner doing different implementations of Haystack. But it's even more frustrating to have my own company (laughs) with engineer A and engineer B. And that's what was happening. And Haystack allows for that, right? It's a very flexible ontology. It allows you to make decisions, apply things a little bit. It's a taxonomy more than an t- ontology. It's evolving a little bit now with the latest edition into an ontology. But before it was more of the hashtag problem. It's just another level of complexity that has been added because it's not only the traditional stuff, but it's a digital more layer of added complexity, which you get more frustration, <laughs> to be honest, because you expect that that be some kind of interoperability magic, but it hasn't been. So it's this magic of how do you combine flexibility with consistency? So we have to be very prescriptive about how we apply these ontology. And I started working with Google a couple of years ago on their ontology team, helping implement the DBO, digital building ontology for them. And what I found they were doing, which was I thought was great, is they're way more prescriptive. It's not that you can do this or this or this. It's you will define an air handler this way. You will define its relationship to the VAV this way. You will define its relationship to the space that it serves this way, right? And so I really like that. And so what we started doing is, and that's where the OAP really started too, is how do I take the methodology that Google's applying and make Haystack use it that way too? Because if I can do that, then maybe I don't have to retrain all my engineers to use DBO. I can have software translate for me. And then that evolved eventually into the OAP being a service that now you can put in a bunch of Haystack for ontology tagging and have it output a DBO building config. So now if I'm doing a Google building, I don't have to have engineers doing that. I can have the software do it for me and the tooling around it. So it's open source some of it, but you also provide it as a service. So the OAP service, you can just subscribe to. There's no fee to do it. We have a URL. It's all protected by Okta from a security layer. So you do have to get authentication keys and tokens and all that. But then you can actually write code against it and say, hey, I've got this data coming in. How should it be tagged? And that can all happen right there through another GraphQL interface. And we want people to do that. The only reason we haven't really gone to the point where we're accepting a lot of like-minded developers to join the fray is because we just don't have the bandwidth to moderate all the pull requests. And maintain it. That's a challenge for most companies that sort of like trying to venture into open source space, that realizing what it takes to maintain it and also the guidelines and the structure to do all that kind of things. It's a monumental task. We would love to have some organization take over the OAP because our vision is that ASTAC and DBO and BRIC and IoT Core and IFC and some of these other ontologies that are more into BIM and that world, that they're all coming together because at the end of the day, we're really solving the same problems. And even though I was told early on that there's no way I would be able to align 
the DBO with Haystack because they're just so different. We found they're actually not that different and there is a way to align them. And yes, it does take some transformation, but, but it takes a real intention to do it. One of the people I interviewed was Jeremy Richmond. So he was looking for this decoder ring in the industry. And I think that's sort of what everyone has been, everyone, I mean, some people have been talking about, I guess. And I think that's sort of what the OAP tries to do. Uh, what one problem that I saw with um, Google Business Ontology was that they did it pretty hardcore to, was it UDMI? So they like tweaked all the data that they want to come in to a certain like baseline. And for me, working with digital twin space and all these kind of things, where digital twins are supposed to encapsulate data from a 360 perspective, irrespective if it's in healthcare, industry 4.0, and what you said, like the construction space with BIM and IFC standards and all these kind of things, that becomes a huge problem. It's a gargantuan problem that is very, very hard to overcome from an AI perspective. Because if you tweaked a lot of the data to conform to a base standard, then that is going to be a battle when you want to do these kind of things. Either, oh, no, you have to work with Haystack or Google Business Ontology, especially if you saw like, again, you have these hard guidelines as in how to make this work. Do you see that as a problem? Or is that just an interpretation that I have of what I've heard from the industry? Or are we not there yet to see these ramifications at scale because we're still working in our silos and buildings and not necessarily taking in data from the whole real estate lifecycle as in IFC standards, as in building IoT stuff? What are your thoughts on that? We just had a call this morning with our ontology team and we're talking about things like Microsoft's new entrance into into this ontology space. But their ontology really solves right now a different problem than Haystack did or DB did. And so I believe that there will be some ontologies will be super strong in certain areas and others will be super strong in other areas. And you have to be able to merge them together and blend them and use the best of all of them. And that's really what we strive to do with the OEP. Before Microsoft came out with their release last year, we had already made a big venture into relating spaces and systems because there's not a lot of ontologies out there that really define how to relate many-to-many relationships or even one-to-many or many-to-one. And the complexity there is big. Well, we did that on our own. But now what we have to do is that work back to, okay, for the ontologies that are trying to solve that problem, how do we relate what we did back to that so that we aren't on our own island? Because That was a big message of mine with building the OAP is that I didn't want the OAP to be an ontology. I love that perspective. And I think what you're referring to from Microsoft, it's uh, Microsoft DTDL, right? And I think they've gone at it. You said IET core. I think it's real estate core coming out here in Sweden, which is a basic part of. But again, because I interviewed some of these people, you know, six months ago or seven months ago, and it's one of the podcasts as well. But I think real estate core, that's is more about the facility management side or some real estate data coming out for owners, whilst Haystack is some part, Brick Schema is something else. And I think that is also interesting that, and we talked about that this morning for this research in the university that I'm in with Data Model Group, that what is an ontology? How do you combine different ontologies in the same industry? The combination of these entities or these ontologies, even within an industry, that exactly what you said, they cater to a different goal. It's not that ontology will do everything. So how to blend them together, that's one of the most interesting sides. Is that what you're alluding to with the ontology wars as well? One ontology to rule them all, almost? It's hard to make that into reality, I think. 
you know John Petsy and a lot of respect for John. He's one of the stalwarts of this industry. But I've seen him get frustrated with Haystack been around for 10 years and frustration that we couldn't get, get a lot more people involved. And why did this company have to create an ontology? And I look at it just the opposite. For me, there's a lot of people interested in trying to solve this problem, and they all have different perspectives, and they think they're actually bringing something different to the table. But to be able to take all of that and use all of it where it fits best in order to create an overall system, I mean, look at what we do every day inside of the physical space. We create best of breed solutions to operate a, a really efficient, smart building. We need to do the same thing with data sets. If we think that we're going to be able to select one and have it be everything for us, we're going to fail, right? And I think that's proven itself over and over in history of humankind. So to me, it's good that we have ontology wars, that we actually are looking at data in a very meaningful way and challenging ourselves and are challenging our own interpretation from two years ago, from three years ago to today, and coming up with new ways to slice this information. And it's going to continue. And I'm much more from an integrator's perspective going, no, I'll use best of what yours has and best of what theirs has and actually create an overall solution. I think you're spot on. And I think it might be from a surface level, especially in this industry, it's becoming worse as in not that playful as in actual wars, right? For domination of these big dragons battling it out on a, on some kind of playing field. But if you're looking at it from GitHub Stack Overflow perspective, that's what you do, right? You find a problem, you go into Stack Overflow, or you Google something, and then you find it, you tweak it, you fork something, and then you create something new that never has been done before. Someone else does this in a very, very much transparent way, right? And I think that's what is happening right now. That's also part of the solution. I don't know, maybe we just need to understand that the future is a little bit different than the past, and the way of solving things in this industry is a little bit different than of the past as well, right? So I think that's maybe what we need to understand from a non-millennial perspective, which you seem to have understood and you enabled the tools for the people to come to your job and do the things that they're good at. And that's sort of also what I love to do. Just offer people the positions or the possibilities to do what they love and get them to tools to get the job done. I wanted to ask you, what are the challenges right now that you see in the industry that you want to solve or that hasn't really been solved yet? So for me, it's funny you talked about the skills gap. My assumption is when people are talking about the skills gap, they're talking about the younger generation coming into these jobs. I think that certainly does exist and we need to focus on better training and especially for a lot of the older systems that are still in these buildings. But there's also a growing skills gap for the people, let's say I'm in my late 40s. So from my late 40s to retirement, there's a skills gap. We still have people that are in my generation that are asking for the traditional BMS graphic. So they get handed now this smart building that took a lot of smart people to build. We've got lots of data. We've got it normalized. There's digital twin technology going on. There's all these relationships and they don't know what to do with it. And they just want their BMS graphics. They just want their tritium interface. They just want their ALC interface. And they don't actually want to learn any of that other stuff. In fact, they don't even know why you need it because they've been managing buildings for 30 years and they don't know why they need to change. And so we have a growing skills gap there too. And we can't just abandon those people. They still got another 20 years of work life. And so we need to figure out how to bridge that gap too, because we don't want to stop 
innovating and creating solutions to solve the actual infrastructure building energy efficiency and or air quality problems just to appease them. But we also don't want to leave them behind because if we do, they will fight it every step of the way. And so what we need to do is actually figure out how to do what we're doing and being innovative and leading forward, but bringing them along with us. I would say our industry haven't cracked that nut yet. Every single day we're dealing with these engineers who are brilliant. They've got tons of experience, as you say, and they're just not ready to adopt these new tools. And we've got to figure out how to train them and get them ready. That's on us as an industry to get these people ready. And I would say, obviously, they have some responsibility to invest in their own education as well, because they do have 20 years in their career. But we have to make it easy for them to bridge that gap. And I think when we solve that problem, we will also be solving the problem of the younger generation that needs to learn all of these things. So it's that merger, the knowledge transfer, I guess, between both, I guess, systems and possibly just allow the people that are comfortable working with those tools as well to continue to do that, right? And again, let the other ones to do what they're supposed to do. Just do what you're good at and how you want to do it. And technology should be seamless. It should just help us do the job that we want to do in the best way possible that we want to do it. Fantastic chat. How do people find you if they want to? You can find me at buildingsiot.com. You can get me on email at brian.turner at buildingsiot.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, which is uh, where a lot of people find me. Happy to chat, happy to talk business. I do love this industry. Absolutely love what you're doing, uh, bringing some more exposure through the podcast. I, like I told you, I've listened to probably almost all of them. They've been enjoyable. Appreciate the work you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to the Beyond Buildings podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. And if you like this episode, make sure to tune in to the next one and also see if other episodes could be something for you. Your host, the master of the metaverse, Nicholas Wern. 